0: He actually believes what's gonna happen is there'll be 25, 30 mega firms that will come in. Uh, that will have a large influence in the industry, but then there still will be a lot of other you know, smaller firms. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business. Organically, through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal-makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. This is a special episode today that I am recorded uh, a little while back at the DeVoe the M&A and Succession Summit. Uh, this was an event at the Harvard Club, uh, w- w- which was uh, run by DeVoe and Company, uh, a, an investment banking firm in the uh, and consulting firm in the registered investment advisor industry. Many of you may remember that Dave DeVoe was the first guest I had uh, on my podcast, so he was episode one. And uh, I um, was invited and attended uh, his summit, which was a, a day and a half of amazing content with uh, all types of, uh, of real, you know, luminaries uh, on stage in the RIA industry. For those, so for those of you, especially in the industry, um, on this particular podcast, uh, you want to hear what. Uh, uh, what I've recorded here. Now we weren't able to record directly at the event at the Harvard Club because there's no recording allowed. But I would come back in the uh, I came back in the evenings and and recorded these two sessions. So there'll be two separate um, uh, short podcasts uh, here, solo casts that we're le- releasing as special episodes uh, to give you the lay of the land from the M and A Summit. Now I'm just going to hit on some highlights, and it is certainly not a substitute because there was a day and a half of phenomenal content and and listening to. Um, you know, uh, what will be uh, under an hour of my, uh, of my podcast here. I cannot give you uh, all of the flavor and information that was at the summit. So I encourage you to uh, attend the DeVoe M&A and Succession Summit uh, next year, uh, which uh, is likely going to be on the West Coast in San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, of course, what it also can't do is, uh, it, it, by listening to the podcast, is to have met all of the amazing people. I got to see some of my uh, phenomenal clients there. Uh, like Phil Fiore from Procyon Partners and, uh, uh, you know, Mark uh, Delato from uh, a Messy uh, uh, Quick Simon uh, and a bunch of others. And and also to see, you know, amazing industry partners from several of the custodians and uh, Ed Swenson from Dynasty was there. He was a great industry partner, uh, you know, and others. So, uh, you know, you're never going to beat being at something like this if you're in the industry. So I want to uh, hit on the first day highlights in this, in this episode, and then I'll uh, we'll have another episode where I'm going to hit on the second day uh, highlights that I recorded, uh, and just you know give some conclusions of my own. Uh, so here we go. On the first day, uh, Dave started out. Dave the most started out with an overview, you know, of M and A and the landscape, and and again, I'm only picking out a couple of things from each here. Um, but you know, he talked about the fact that there's a um, a trend towards fewer deals uh, for succession and more for growth instead. Now it's been interesting because Dave and I have actually talked together, and many others have talked about the changing demographics in the industry, and, and you know that would lead you to believe that there's gonna be more and more succession deals, and I think over time there will be, but that has been an interesting development with uh, the capital coming into the space and with the maturation of the space, that there are more and more deals, a higher percentage of deals that are being done these days for growth than they are for succession, even though of course there are you know deals being done still for succession. Uh, Dave also, his you know, big prediction uh, at the beginning of the summit was that although uh, there, he doesn't believe there'll be significant consolidation, like taking the ten thousand or so fee-only firms, you know, down to eight or five and, and two you know k uh, the thousand firms, like some people believe. He actually believes what's going to happen is there'll be 25, 30 mega firms that will come in uh, that will have a large influence in the industry, but then there still will be a lot of other, you know, smaller firms um, that will happen. And you've seen that kind of consolidation in some other industries. He also believes that that those firms, especially the bigger firms, will use technology at a most sophisticated level, including a trend towards using technology on the marketing side. Uh, So that'll be something uh, interesting to take a look at. After Dave was Bryce Scapp, CFA, and co-head of Global Client Group at uh, Dimensional Funds Advisors. So at DFA, uh, Bryce was super, not only super entertaining, a strong presenter, but DFA does some amazing analyses of all of the firms on that platform, and and you know ve- and how they grow and what the different percentages uh, are and uh, and things like that. And uh, I-, I can't even come close to. Uh, recreating all the statistics uh, he gave. But I want to hit on a couple. You know, one is, um, one big point that Bryce made is he, he sh- and showed by statistics is that firms that, um, basically firms need to have a higher level of organic growth to be able to have a higher level of inorganic growth. What does that mean? That means the firms that had more organic growth, just more, you know, bringing more clients, more assets, et cetera, were also the ones that had a higher rate of, uh, of growth via M&A. Um, and that may not be surprising in concept, but the you know it was interesting because there was a difference of about 19 percent in AUM growth between uh, the smaller firms and the biggest firms. So meaning that um, you know it's in the 12 range for the smaller firms, 31 percent growth in AUM uh, at the bigger firms. Um, similar in revenue it was even even a bigger gap, something like 21 percent more revenue growth for the bigger firms over the smaller firms. And then over three times the growth uh, through m a So whereas 0.8% of the growth of the smaller firms was via M&A, 2.6% of the growth of the larger firms was through M&A. So there was a correlation between AUM growth, revenue growth, and growth uh, via M&A. Uh, so that, those were some of the things that stuck out for me uh, out of the many uh, things that Bryce gave in his presentation. Uh, Bryce was followed by Vic Esclamato, who's the uh, A-managing uh, director at DeVoe Company. And uh, Vic was talking about valuation, and he talked about the three main drivers of valuation are growth, cash flow, and risk. Uh, DeVoe Company has a 40-factor uh, test that they uh, uh, take into account in the risk factors in their valuation methodology and, and, and spreadsheet. Um, he confirmed something you've heard DeVoe say on my first podcast in forever, uh, that um, the best valuation methodology is discounted cash flow. They believe not any kind of multiple, whether it's a revenue, certainly, or even of EBITDA or EBAC, but uh, discounted cash flow. Um, despite that, uh, in devos methodology, they use discounted cash flow and uh, to count towards 85% of the valuation. They do give uh, revenue growth um, 3%, so a multiple of revenue, but a 3% rating, and a multiple of cash flow, a 12% rating, So. Those two items make up 15%, but 85% of their valuation uh, methodology is discounted cash flow. They also talked about, you know, uh, some of the dangers of just using multiples. Um, And without getting into details on that, you know, the bottom line is that there are all these 40 factors they talk about, whether it's age, uh, you know, of of average age of clients or concentration risk or, um, uh, you know, uh, other issues in terms of, you know, operational and compliance risks, et cetera, growth rates, um, you know, all have uh factors that aren't accounted for in any kind of multiple. Uh you know, so that's why multiples can be dangerous. Uh he also talked about the fact that um although after they do evaluation, you can then back into an implied multiple, right? So they pre- apply that test, they go through all the factors. You get a valuation number. You can, of course, then back into what would be the EBITDA multiple, for example, on that, um, and then firms could use that going forward and apply it. Um, you know, over the next you know year or two years, uh, without getting new the valuations. There's a risk because you really got to rat- watch out for change in circumstances that you might not account for. Um, so there's a point at which you you know you'll want to get that refreshed, and uh, and finally. He did talk about the need to account for and adjust for situational factors. For example, if you just made a big investment in technology, it may, you know, reduce your um, uh, your cash flow, your profit temporarily, but it may set the stage for something in the future. Also, maybe you made a recent hire and spent a bunch of money, but you haven't gotten the benefit of that yet. So, uh, the valuation has to take into account situational um, factors that may cut one way or the other. Uh, following that presentation was a uh, very interesting panel from a number of the uh, financing sources or some the financing sources in the industry. And as somebody who's been in the industry for a long time and remembers, I mean, you could, you only have to go back about, I don't know, you know, less than seven years ago. And there was almost nothing available in the market in terms of, you know, people uh, and firms lending directly or providing, uh, you know, a financing source directly in the RA uh, market. Um, it's really amazing what's happened. Uh, so there was a great panel with Rick Dennon, who's the founder and present CEO of Oak Street Funding. And I'm familiar with those guys. I know Rick and his team, and I've connected clients with them. Uh, and they, um, they're they now owned by a bank. Uh, so they underwrite their, their own loans and provide uh, financing. They definitely understand the industry. It's certainly a source that people should consider when getting financing. And I won't get into, you know, each one of their deal structures, but they're you know, but, but one of their advantages is that they, um, you know, they, they, they have a direct ownership by the banks so they can make underwriting decisions and, uh, and they understand the industry and they're cash flow lenders. They don't look for uh, assets. Nobody's putting their house on the line. And by the way, this is, this is true for several of them. Uh, also, all, all three of the people I'm, I'm gonna talk about first here, uh, upon questioning were uh, confirmed there's no spousal guarantees that they require, although they do require uh, guarantees of the principal. The next person was, um, was uh, Mike McGinley, General Manager at Live Oak Bank. Now, while I don't know Mike personally, I do know Live Oak Bank. I know some, some of the other people uh, out there and have definitely uh, had clients do, do do deals with Live Oak. Um, they are mainly an SBA lender. They do some conventional lending, but the far majority of loans that they're doing are SBA loans and their are advantage and disadvantage to that, uh, but they have, they have that flavor on it. And you know that's a possibility for people in the industry. Then um, the third person was Dustin uh, or Mangone. I think it's Mangone. Um, uh, M A N G O N E is the managing partner at PPC Loan. Now I got to be honest with you. I I didn't really know them, and not only did I see him on stage, but I actually sat down uh, to get to know Dustin a little bit because I always want to know all the options for my clients in the industry. And uh, turns out, you know, they interestingly made their first loans. I think he said it was in 2007 or 2008, right before the financial crisis. They jumped into this industry and then sort of pulled back for a while while the financial crisis was going on, and then re-entered the market in 2013, about the same time that um, that Live Oak came in. Um, and uh, they are conventional lenders, however. Um, so they, they're not SBA lenders. They're, they are conventional lenders, similar, similarly cash flow lenders, et cetera. Um, and, you know, that was a good um, additional option for me to get familiar with for when my clients are looking for financing. Um, the fourth person on the panel I mentioned earlier is, it was Ed Swenson from Dynasty. He's great, you know, contest uh, great partner of ours. And some people may be a little confused. as to why Dynasty would be on a lending panel, and while they are not um, direct competitors in the way that they're just, you know, uh, providing loans to anybody, uh, any of the firms out there like the other three, Dynasty does provide financing for firms on its platform, and they do it in a number of ways. But the with the main one that was discussed. Uh, which i'm familiar with because i've had clients who who've who've done it with them uh, is uh what's called an r p n revenue participation note and it's a it's a structure in which uh dynasty uh takes a so no equity they still own dynasty as a service provider platform uh they don't take equity, but they do take a percentage of revenue of the firm in exchange for the loan so there's no interest rate per se it's a it's a revenue participation note uh they get a, a percentage of revenue ongoingly. Uh, in exchange for the money being lent. And then there is a predetermined uh, buyout that so if anybody ever wants out of the deal, they can pay back the money with a return that is you know set in, in advance, which you know frankly is a higher return than you know, than an interest rate. But also um, you know this is more like you're almost selling off a portion of your cash flow in exchange for the money, which you don't necessarily have to pay back at any given time as long as you stay on the uh, diocese platform, but there is an out for people. Uh, where they can get out. So that, you know, so it was interesting to have his perspective on there. Dynasty does those mainly for the people on their platform because they, the firms on their platform because they want to provide the other suite of services that they provide to help those firms be successful and grow. Um, but they're willing to dis- to talk to firms who are not on that platform to talk about maybe a, you know, there's somewhat, you know, there's some flexibility on the package of services that they uh, package in with the RPN loan if somebody's interested in. it. So it's something, you know, to, to, to look at. Um, the entire panel talked about a evolution in the marketplace where uh, there are more funding options, as we as we discussed. Uh, there's a reduced need for owner um, financing and internal succession. So one of the challenges uh, for a long time uh, in the industry was uh, when uh, the junior people wanted to buy on an internal succession when somebody was retiring, and there weren't a lot of financing options out there. Um, the you know there would be a need for the owner. Take back financing. And he only would look at the economics on that often and say, well, if I'm holding the owner, I'm essentially the bank, I'm getting my money paid over the time. Well, why should I bother to sell to the internal people? I can continue to get my cash flow out by owning the, the place and not, you know, keep controlling, not sell out, just pull back and do less. Um, so that's always been a challenge in internal succession because the junior people often don't have the cash up front. And if they can't finance it, then there used to be a need, more of a need for owner financing. But these sources are now making that less and less. Um, you know, of an issue because there's more and more options to finance various things: internal succession, external deals, and you know various uh, other things as well. But internal succession is one of them. Uh, they all agree that there's a forty to fifty to one buyer to seller ratio, meaning that obviously there are a lot more people saying, at least, that they want to buy than are willing that are saying they want to sell. Although um, you know, it's interesting in uh, some of the I heard. I think it was some of the DFA, but I've heard this otherwise too. In reality, there are a lot more people who would be open to selling under the right circumstances, and a lot of few qualified buyers than they say. But but at least when you speak to people, you know uh, on surveys, it's shown at forty to fifty to one. And then there was a nice discussion about how somebody becomes a qualified buyer. You know, basically as lenders, what they look like at as a qualified buyer. And we talked in some of the other podcasts, so, you know, about those factors. Um, what kind of management team do you have? Do you have good systems in place? You know, obviously what your financials look like. Um, do you have a unique uh, proposition to bring people people in uh, to you, et cetera, et cetera? In fact, I did a video series. If you haven't seen it, check out my 10-tip uh, video series on YouTube. We pull it off. I've uh, posted on my social media sites on how to prepare yourself to, to, to do an M&A deal. Um, the other thing I'll mention is that uh, Ed Swenson announced that Dynasty, and they, they've they just publicized this, uh, created a new program. It was uh, It was actually announced at the summit called Dynasty Connect, uh, which is a powerful new platform that delivers expertise and valuation, M&A readiness, anti and sourcing, and transition uh, to teams uh, in the market. Basically, it's it's a suite of services that helps um, RIA firms successfully do M&A deals um, as Dynasty expands its service offering to support its uh, firms to grow. So that was a interesting announcement from Dynasty and it's Swenson. Um, that panel was then followed by a fireside chat between Rudy Adolf and Dave Devoe, um, which was nice. It was, uh, you know, obviously Rudy has been um, uh, the uh, the founder and um, of uh, Focus Financial, and he talked about his journey from being at a, at at American Express to form Focus and create a fiduciary model, all the way through its uh, somewhat recent, you know, uh, IPO. Um, you know, he he stressed the fact that Focus commitment is never. Uh, to turn entrepreneurs into employees, they let the firms on their platform continue to run and control the management uh, of um, of their firms, even though focus is, is what they're can then cut a deal to you know split the cash flow uh, they get to run their uh, their firms uh, and Rudy said that a number of times um, and then the, you know he talked about how focus supports partners to grow through m and a so not only do they uh bring um uh, new firms onto the Focus platform, but uh, they support the Focus firms to uh, acquire uh, other firms, including providing capital you know, for those firms to do that. Um, well, one thing that was interesting to me, and I, I had an opportunity to ask Rudy about this uh, as a question, um, uh, you know, uh, which he responded to uh, on stage, he mentioned the word discipline repeatedly, and I asked him about that because I heard it in various contexts. I heard it when he talked about deal discipline, which is something I talk about often, especially for either venture-funded or uh, publicly-funded funds like uh, firms like Focus. Now, it's always you know when you have access to capital, there's always a pressure to deploy it. But you know, we talked um, repeatedly about about um, deal discipline, about dis- discipline around infrastructure to support growth to make sure you have that in place to support growth, about discipline and employee training. Um, and you know how they how they maintain that discipline when others don't. And when I asked them about you know the, the repeated use of the word discipline in those various areas, I, I said, "How do you you know how do you uh, successfully keep that discipline?" when not only for uh, you know every firm can. What, what do you do? And he talked about the fact that they do a lot of due diligence on everything they do. You know whether it's the deals they're going to do, whether it's you know strategic business decisions, they do a lot of due diligence. They also hold very high standards and don't deviate from them. Um, And and they have a culture of being able to hold each other accountable to question, you know, the decisions people are making and and holding each other accountable for those decisions. They always do after action reviews, like anytime something goes right, wrong, et cetera, whatever it is, whenever they complete a project, a deal, et cetera, they do an after action review to figure out what worked and didn't work and that they always have a, a culture of always learning. You know, that's built into that culture and that helps them maintain discipline. The next um, person uh, that came on stage was Mark Tabersian, uh CEO of Advisor Solutions, uh, BNY Mellon Pershing, one of the custodians. I, I've heard Mark speak many, many times, and I just super enjoy always listening uh, to Mark. Uh, a few of his many points were, uh, growth is one of the biggest uh, causes of bankruptcy, so firms need to prepare to scale. Um, the main reason uh, that firms aren't as profitable as they grow is the cost of people, uh, you know, and in large part because there's a labor shortage in this area and it's hard to get really good people. And he and many others talked about the necessity of training up and having, you know, good people coming into the industry. He talked about the benefits of growth, uh, you know, having a bigger brand, having more income, uh, being able to afford that higher personnel compensation to grab, you know, the, the, the key people this is a key one providing a lot of firms grow because they have to provide their younger people career choices or else they're going to lose them. And I won't mention the firm, but there's actually two firms. I I, 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 I spent some time with at the summit who, you know, that was their biggest motivator for growth. And we talked about some ways they could do that because they had, you know, uh, um, junior and middle people who they needed to provide uh, a path of advancement, you know, to, and the principals weren't ready to retire yet. So they wanted to take over the firm. So without growth, you know, how are, the, how are these uh, people going to be able to move up? So that was cru- crucial. And of course, you know, growth helps create greater value, meaning the multiples are higher uh, if you exit bigger firms. Um, now, there's some risks of growth that uh, that Mark went through. Uh, people dysfunction, process dysfunction. Uh, so some of those things go wrong when you combine, you know, firms. He talked about errors. He said, you know, as a custodian, they see that firms growing quickly. They have more errors, trade errors, that kind of stuff, whatever. So you got to be careful about that. He also talked about liquidity and 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 safety, meaning that there's some balance sheet risk uh, when you're expending, you know, money uh, for growth, and 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 sometimes this is where you know goes back to his earlier comment about uh, you know growth can be a big cause of bankruptcy. And then he talked about cultural infection. Um, you know, you can ruin the culture when you have uh, when you have some, you know uh, acquisitions, combinations going on, etc. Um, he also talked about the current drivers of uh, of growth, uh, market lift. Of course, the market you know has gone up the last decade. M and A, private capital coming into the business. Um, you know, uh, referrals, um, ha- meaning like having firm, the bigger firms are getting a um, systems for referrals. Uh, they have disciplined sales processes and uh, more effective marketing. Um, he did stress that, however, that growth for the sake of growth is evil. And I believe that. Like if people just want to grow for no reason or for out of ego or et cetera, if they don't have a strategy, um, then it's a mistake. So growth uh, with, uh, as a strategy it makes sense, growth for the sake of growth is evil. Um, and then finally, on day one, there was an open forum uh, with Tiberian, uh, uh, Tim Coaches, uh, who's a strategic advisor to DeVoe, and Dave DeVoe, where they delve deeper into valuation, uh, cultural um, uh, due diligence and fit. Tabersian in uh, that uh, one pointed out that he doesn't like the term cultural fit because one of the mistakes he says that people make um, is when they use cultural fit is that they look only for people like them consciously or subconsciously, right? They come from the same schools. They look like them, same background, et cetera. And that's not good for a firm. So what he would like, uh, the, the term he likes is an addition to culture. So he's, he says, you should be looking for additions to your culture as opposed to cultural fit um so obviously it's got to be somebody who gets along etc but you know you want a, a diversity of the types of people that you bring in and you, you and you want to um resist the bias to, ha- to just hire people who are like you you know you don't want somebody who's 20 years younger than you but just like you necessarily to be the ceo the next ceo um 20 years younger is good but not necessarily uh just like you um so you know that was the the final session that day um, there was a uh a fun you know drinks and dinner that evening. there had been a cocktail hour the night before um, and there was just some great you know uh, just people connecting a lot of phenomenal people uh there super successful RIA firms and then you know um firms of really all sizes uh, I made some great connections, got to see some clients, got to see some of my friends from various of the other custodians and other providers in the space so I definitely recommend it um I will close this episode now, and then uh, uh, we'll run the other one uh, shortly after this, which uh, we'll talk about day two uh, of the conference and, uh, and you know, uh, talk about some other conclusions. So uh, with that, I'd like to thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't, and it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer, signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.